0: Every now and then, um, get the, the, opportunity and, uh, say, hey, Dave, uh, there's, there's a song I'd really like to sing. That was, a, that was, a big hug right there. Man, I said, God's bringing down the thunder. Oh, no, it's just, it's a Fogarty hug. <laughs> oh, I love this church. Um, and so I went to day this week and I said, it's been a long week and, and, Earlier in the week, I was on the road Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Indiana for regional meetings, and and my sister's surgery in Goshen, and Friday in Lenawee County, and and um, Tuesday after we got word that my sister's cancer, the surgery was successful, and she's home, and she's healing up, and it's there's no sign of cancer. It's like praise God, and so it was like, Dave, can we sing "Great Is Thy Faithfulness" on Sunday? I just uh, I love that song, and uh, and then the moments when we have good things happen, we forget even in the bad times, but in good and bad. Don't we need to think about God's faithfulness? Isn't He a good God? Well, this is what I want to do. Open up your Bibles to the book of Psalm. Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll, we'll bring one to you. Psalm 127. As you're, as you're turning there, uh, as I said, I was out of town a couple days for these regional meetings. Um, you got a Bible and bring on up? Awesome. Thank you. And when we were in these meetings, um, I, I saw a guy that I had not seen in a while, and he actually lives in Kansas City, but because of his position with FCA, he was actually out on the West Coast uh, with another meeting, and he shared with me about a moment that he had a few weeks back sailing. And um, he, he said he's never sailed before in his life. So he didn't know what to expect. And it wasn't just one of those, you get in a, a sailboat with just by yourself or another person. This was like a team of people. This was going to be a, a, like a race almost. He had four sailboats and uh, they were, they're spread out and he's in his boat and they took off and he said the wind caught the sails just perfectly and, and they just, their boat just started to go, started passing all the other boats. Now, being a part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we do have a little competitive nature within us, and so in the most Christian way he could, he trash-talked the other guys from FCA into the boats as he passed them by, just sort of making fun of them, right? Well, they got around uh, the buoy, I believe it was, that they were circling around to come back, and as they circled around to come back, all of a sudden, his boat started to slow down. And he looked up, and the sail wasn't as full of what it seemed to be wind as it had before, and he started to panic a little, and he saw the other boats all of a sudden picking up, and they were starting to increase their speed to catch him. And he's like, "Oh, this isn't good, you know." And he's like looking at the captain. He's like, "What are we supposed to do? Is there something I should do? Do I need to? Do I need to? I don't know. Crank something, or turn something, or lift something?" Or... And the captain's like, "There's nothing you can do." And he's like, well, "What do you mean? You know, there's got to be something, right?" And Meanwhile, these these boats start passing him, and of course. They did a little retaliation uh, Christian uh, trash talk back at him and um, had a little fun with him, right? But he found out and he discovered that when you're on the ocean, and I don't fully understand this myself, but that wind travels in certain lanes and currents. And so it just so happened to be where their boat was on the ocean, in that particular lane or current, there was no wind pushing as opposed to just a few hundred feet away how the wind was pushing, and that's why they passed him and went on by. He said, he learned a lesson that day. I think the first one was, don't trash talk to other people, but he said the lesson he learned that day was that you can do all you want to win, but if you're not in the right lane where the wind is blowing, you'll lose. And in the same way, we can do all the right things spiritually spiritually, to win with God, such as maybe serving in the church or praying or reading the Bible, helping others. But if we are not in the right lane where the Spirit of God is blowing, we will lose. And I thought that is unique of a story and powerful because it just so happened that what I was preaching on was right along with what the story he was saying. I was like, can I share that story? That's a great story. With that story in mind, Look with me, Psalm 127, starting in verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Now this psalm is, a, is attributed to Solomon. Um, it, it's a psalm that belongs to the, called the Psalms of Ascent, and that was basically when the Jews were returning back from the Babylonian exile. They were coming back home, and there was all these songs and psalms that were written and sung. And all those, David wrote most of the Psalms. This one in particular was written by Solomon. Some people are like, are they sure Solomon? But they looked at some of the writing and, and the words he used as far as the vanity and the, uh, the meaningless rhetoric that was used matched up with Ecclesiastes. And others believe that as they look through the Psalms, like, yes, Solomon wrote this Psalm. And then as you read through the rest of the psalm, you'll see it talks about building uh, with a family. It goes from a building to a family. And people are like, well, how does that match together? Well, back in biblical times in Old Testament, the family was often referred to as a house, as a building. And that's how you built your house. You built your family. So when you look at this psalm and and how it comes together, we're only going to look at the first part of it, where psalm is referring to, whether he's referring to an actual house or building or the family, what he says here is, is that without the Lord's help, our efforts are useless. Without God being there, our work is meaningless. He understood that the work of man has its place. But it was the ultimate work without God, without the blessing of God, that would be in trouble. Without God's help and blessing, the labor would be in vain. Now, there is a, a Latin motto which says, uh, Nisi Dominus Frusta. And again, I'm not down on my Latin, so if you're like, ah, you missed the last pronunciation, that's, that's fine, help me deal with it, right? But it comes from the first words of this psalm. And it means, without the Lord, frustration. Without the Lord, frustration. It's actually the motto used in the city of Edinburgh Uh, Scotland appearing on their their family's crest. It's used in the city's official documents, attached at the bottom of all their documents, the same model. It could be basically attached to our lives as well when it comes down to trying to live our life without God, without the Lord. Frustration. The verse um, continues, but before I do, I, I found something. I was reading in the book the other day. In, in studying for this sermon, I came across something very interesting. Because we often sit here and say, well, without the Lord, frustration, without God at work, what does it matter? The story here about Benjamin Franklin. Everybody knows Benjamin Franklin. They say, well, I think he was a Christian, but he was actually a deist, okay? But he appreciated Christians, and his words that he used often showed that of faith. Benjamin Franklin wrote this in a speech to the convention as they were forming our nation's constitution. So think back to 1787. He delivers a speech in Philadelphia. And this is what he says at at the founding of our nation before they wrote the constitution. This is what he said. In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us Who are engaged in a struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence. To that kind providence we owe this opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future nation felicity. And have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived for a long time, 81 years, and the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth, that God governs the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it possible that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain and that build it. I firmly believe this and I believe that without his concurring aid, we will proceed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Isn't that interesting? A little over 200 years ago as they were forming the Constitution of the United States, that Benjamin Franklin shared, unless the Lord builds, we build in vain. I thought that was interesting. I wanted to share that with you. Because I, tr- I truly believe, you know, what he learned, we say, oh, that was a great thing. Where did he get it? From God's word. All truth is God's truth. When you look deep enough, you'll find that the truth comes back to what God had to say in the beginning. We can come up with a lot of great ideas, a lot of messages or something, but guess where that came from? God's word. Read on. verse continues, unless the Lord protects the city, there is a watchman of a city. He had a role. Stay awake, keep alert, keep watch. If the enemy approaches, sound out the alarm to everybody. But here it says, God's help and blessing is needed to truly guard the city. Even the greatest watchman, even though he's watching, guess who's protecting the city? God. Why Solomon understood that through God, he welcomed and even commanded human effort and participation. But it was God's help. It was God's work and blessing that was even more important than that of man. Notice that Solomon doesn't tell the builder stop building or the watchman to stop protecting We don't show our trust in God by doing nothing. Instead, we continue to work. We place our trust in not in our work or in our plans, but in who? In God. Verse 3 says this, It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Wait a minute. So is Solomon saying he's against work? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Solomon did not, uh, did not speak against hard work because several of his Proverbs talk about hard work. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11 says this. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. I you love it, how Solomon puts it out there. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor, or ruler to make them work. They labor hard all summer to gather up their food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long are you going to sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest? Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. We can all work hard. Anybody can put in long hours, get up early, stay up late. Anybody can do this. But for what? Why do we do that? For food? Solomon says the long hours will not remove your anxiety. Oh, I've got to work. I've got to get more hours. I've got to get more money so I can, so I can, so I can. What? That will not remove your anxiety. Only God does that. God gives rest to his loved ones, as he says there in that Verse. Church, listen. I, I grew up on a farm. I grew up with a mindset that you work hard, put in late hours, get up early. I remember my brothers. We, you know, sleeping in. Some of you sleeping in means what? Eleven, noon. Okay, sleeping in for us was seven a.m. That was sleeping in. Okay, and if we slept in till seven and we got up and Grandpa was driving in, oh, we're in trouble. We would, we would literally on the second floor of our house. We would look out the windows and look at the other farm, which is just a mile down and across. We would look, and we saw the yellow truck coming, get up, get up, you guys, got to get on there. We act like we already ate breakfast. Act like we already did the chores, okay? Grandpa does not need to know that we slept in until seven, right? We were raised to get up and to get work and Never let grandpa or even dad think you're being lazy. And here's the other thing about growing up farm. I grew up believing that I can do it. I can do it myself. I do not need your help. If there, was a, if there were things to move, uh, things to be done, we did it. We didn't like, hey, go tell dad we need help. Now, we did work together as a team, but that was typically because somebody got the tractor stuck out in the field to its axles, and we did not want Dad to see it. So we, like, get our brothers, you know, like, hey, come help me get the tractor out. We got the international stuck. Dad cannot see it. Because you know why? Because Dad would show up. He didn't have to say much. He'd just look at us and say, you guys. Two words. That's all you need to say. You guys. And then he'd get on the tractor started up and he was like, Jesus on water, he got that tractor on top of the soil somehow, I don't know how, and just drove off. It's like, how does dad do that, right? But we would not ask for help unless we really needed to. That's how I was raised, right? Accomplish a task, lift it alone, just get it done, right? Late night, early morning, my efforts. But my efforts, listen, my efforts without God are useless. According to Solomon, and who is this Solomon? Only the wisest man in the world, right? So this morning, here's my wisdom. Here's Solomon's wisdom. There's God's wisdom, which is infinitely more than anything, right? So if Solomon were to step up here this morning and say to you, hey, unless the Lord builds, the builder builds in vain, you would all be like, oh, that's awesome, right? Wow, look what Solomon had to say. I'm just repeating his words and in the same manner we should be leaning in and saying, you know what? Solomon's right. Where did Solomon get that? From God. Ultimately, God is right. God is right. It's like that sailboat trying to win. Without the wind, you go nowhere. Listen church, without the Spirit of God working in our lives spiritually, guess where we're going? Nowhere. We can put all the work and effort into it, but unless God is leading and as God's Spirit is blowing into our lives, we're doing it in vain. I don't know if you ever wanted to, be, um, ever wanted to do something incredible, uh, say uh, skydive or summit a mountain, or for those of us that don't have access to those things, just get on the biggest roller coaster there is, okay? Something that's just like, it's amazing, it's challenging, it's breathtaking, it's fun, Right? I remember the day when I would stand in line for hours at Cedar Point to get in the front seat of a roller coaster. I don't know if there's anybody else in here like that. Do you remember that day? You're like, man, I'll, I'll stand here for two hours. I'll just work my way through the little carousel like cattle in the, in the feedlot, you know, just basically get through. Why? So I can be in the front row of that roller coaster. Why? Because you just go, as it goes up, you know what I'm talking about? And you're in the front, you're like, you're just anticipating and then you go over the top. And then you hang there for about three seconds because you're waiting for the rest of the roller coaster to come over and you're just looking there and your heart's beating and you're like, and your breath is almost gone. And then boom, you go and your hands go like woohoo. And you're just flying down that roller coaster. You know what I'm talking about? It's breathtaking, isn't it? It's exhilarating. I wanted that through. I wanted the, the wind blowing in my face. Now I'm like, you know, if it blows my face, I'll probably blow something else back out and it's not good. So life has changed as you get older, right? But here's the thing. What if I had that same attitude about God? What if it's like, man, that is so breathtaking. I want to be a part of that. I will stand in line for hours to go to church or to go to a concert or to be a part of a revival. I I will be the first one there. I'm so excited about it. What if it was, you know, and I just can't wait to get in there and, You know, but we don't like that, are we? We're a lot more reserved, right? Last week, I referenced Moses and his desire to see God. He wanted to see the glory of God. But of course, we can't see God in his fullness. Otherwise, we would die, right? We just can't handle that. So God said, I'll show you a glimpse of me. And after God showed a glimpse of himself to Moses, what did God say to him? God said this as he showed himself. He goes, I am the God of compassion and mercy. He said, I am slow to anger. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. We're just saying about that, right? Grace your faithfulness. God went on to say, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and I do not excuse the guilty. Moses, after hearing God's voice, threw himself on the ground. Do you remember what Moses said? Moses said in in Exodus 33, he goes, he said, "Oh Lord, if that is true, let me find favor with you, and I want to travel wherever you go. Wherever you're at, I want to be there. I want to go with you. Let's go. Where God is, that's where Moses wanted to be that should be our same attitude when we get a glimpse of God and it changes us we should sit there and say that's where I want to be all the time wherever God is put me there right turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 and 18 while you're turning there just give you a little background Jesus has been for performing miracles he had an encounter with some religious leaders. They argued about why he was doing what he's doing. Then he and his disciples crossed over a lake to get away. And his disciples have this conversation with him. They start asking these questions to him. And Jesus has a question for them, though. This is what he says, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus said, He said, But who do you say I am? Okay, enough. Enough hearing about what everybody else thinks about me. What do you guys think about me? Who, who do you say I am? Peter's the first one to, to talk, right? Look what Peter says. Verse 16. He says, You are now listen very careful. The articles that are used here matter. He says, You are. The Messiah, you are the son of the living God, not Ah, the. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any other human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Simon Peter makes a declaration that was revealed to him by God when he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He nails it. This is your identity. This is who Jesus Christ is. Christ is the foundation. You know, Even though he says, Peter, you're my rock in which I'm going to build the church. Christ is the, is the founding rock. Peter then was upon that as he preached to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles and the church got started as you read through the book of Acts. And Jesus makes a statement that should give us goosebumps every time we read it as a believer in Jesus Christ. And he said this, and I'll give you a different translation from the ESV, and that is this, And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why should that put goosebumps on you? Because the gates of hell will not prevail. And it sounds like whenever Satan attacks the church or the Christian, it's like, we're not going to succeed because I'm just under spiritual attack. Hey, listen, you don't attack by setting up a gate. Gates are defensive measures. Jesus saying that hell will not be able to resist the forces of the church, and the church is assaulting it. We are the victors through Christ. We are so worried about spiritual attacks that we forget we've got the greater offense. We're the varsity team playing a fifth grade peewee league. You know what? We're like... We forget that. Sometimes we look at our opponent and we think he's so much more powerful. No, 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 no. God is powerful. God is almighty. God is victorious. Church, it's time to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in him we are victorious. And we need to run up the score. I know as a coach, when I had the opportunity to play an opponent and we were beating them and we could be beating them really, really bad, as a coach you say, all right, it's Put other guys in. Let's back it off. Let's not run up the score. We're not going to keep stealing bases. Okay, there's a pass ball. No, we're not going to just stay on third base. Don't go, right? We're not going to run up the score. Church, listen very carefully. This is a spiritual battle. It's okay to run up the score spiritually. It's okay to put a dent in the darkness of of hell. The gates are there as defensive measures. Understand that. Listen, I want to be where God is, and unless he builds what? I build in vain. I want to be where God is because he is victorious and he storms the gates. I want to be where God is. How about you? How are we doing, church? Do you want to be where God is? Are you inviting God to travel with you every day? Are you asking God, can I travel with you today? Where do you want me to go, God? Can I go with you? Are we as a church charging the gates of hell? Are we running up the scorn the devil? Are we putting a dent in the darkness? These are questions we have to ask. Because if we're just content with showing up and worshiping, we are not the church. We just purely came to be entertained, and that cannot happen here. Let me quickly share with you some, some encouraging thoughts about this church. Uh, I, I want you to think back to where we started a little over 11 years ago. Bottom right picture is a picture in the movie theater, Sky Cinema. That's where we started almost 12 years ago. We had a handful of people, no salaries, no worship team. Uh, matter, matter of fact, as Travis uh, Smith had a guitar up front, and um, and we played, and we had, a, we had a cardboard box for our blessings box. People put the offering in, and that first offering, what did we do with it? We gave it away to a college uh, group that was going on a mission trip. Dan and Van Dock and I served as the pastors of the church, and uh, we were like, No, there's no salary. people give, we're going to use it to pay the rent at Sky Cinema um, and then use the rest of it to buy Bibles or whatever it may be. We just felt like that's what we're supposed to do, right? Just a group of people with God's word seeking to live in a way that we could say we're going to love God and we're going to love others. That's how it all started. And after ten years, we moved to four different locations. We went to the primary school, uh, then we moved from the primary school to Sarah's Garden, from Sarah's Garden to the middle school. And I counted this up, and you know, we for over ten years we sat up and tore down chairs for over five hundred Sundays. Okay, I counted that out. Five hundred Sundays we stacked chairs. If some of you remember, you were there in the, in the school when it's like we'd say Amen, go be the church, and what happens? clang, 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 and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, if you're visiting, you got something bad was happening. No, we're just tearing down the chairs because that's what we do. And people come in with carts. Uh, your, your boys were like, they, you had to go get them out of junior church because they would be mad if they missed the tearing down the chairs. So he got up early right before we prayed to go get the boys to bring them back in to tear down chairs. That's what we did for 500 Sundays, okay? then we have a beautiful building now, right? We praise God for what we've seen in those 11 plus years of existence. And as you know, it was not by our efforts. Our church is not where it is today because of myself, the leadership of this church, other pastors, our worship teams. No, we've witnessed numerous baptisms, uh, commitments to Jesus Christ, renewed hearts. We've witnessed spiritual growth for sure. Listen, we are not perfect. We never claim to be. I make mistakes, you make mistakes, we see people come and go, they don't like whatever, I don't know, but we've seen things in which we can truly say when we step back, it is by the hand of God and the hand of God only. Unless he builds, we build in vain. Recently, we praised God for this, 56 people got baptized in the last two years. Think about that. This past summer, September, winter, and then the other previous uh, baptism, September, 56 people got baptized. Dozens have been recommitting their life to Christ. Just last week, visitor slip got turned in, and sometimes it might be a visitor, it might be one of you, and you put in there, recommitting my life to Christ today. That is awesome. That happens often. I don't know if you knew, we have a food pantry that feeds people a warm meal every Thursday from 11 to 1. We'll feed anywhere from 20 to 40 different people come in, feed them a warm meal, give them a couple bags of groceries. Why? Because we love them. Because that's what God does, Right? We know that over, over a month period, there'll maybe be 70 households that will come through our church to help. Why? Because we want to. Our Vacation Bible School this past summer was one of the biggest we've ever had, and it spilled right over into our Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights now, there'll be about 140 kids in this building, from preschool to high school. This place is, is, is packed. A lot of volunteers. And, and here's, the, here's the crazy thing. And the attendance. Some of you have never seen this before. The elder said, you've got to show this to the church. So I'm going to show it to the church. We have to do... Um, sending our numbers to a church conference They're like well, how many people do you have a church like are you kidding me we got to take attendance it seems so dorky right but here's the thing numbers are important they help you understand trends keeping track of trends you can understand where things go look if you would over uh to your far left number in blue that's 2014 2015 is orange 2016 gray 2017 yellow 2018 is green Back when we voted on this building, our average attendance was about 146, somewhere around there. Our average attendance now is like 286. When you look at that growth, I mean, we, we moved into the building, it's like, oh, wow, okay, God is good, amen. And then it's like the next year, it's like, wait a minute, it, it keeps getting bigger. And you do things like this, you track numbers to help you understand trends so that trends can help you understand what's going and you can see how that just dips and rises. It's the same every Month and every season, right? But what we discovered was, a year ago, it was like, boy, when it hits November around holidays, we're not going to have room in this building for one service. So looking at this, this is why we went to two services. So we went to two services, and we've not gone back since because we don't have room. The elders are like, "Does the church ever seen this? It's like, no, just the staff we look at. every every Tuesday, we're like, wow, God is good. Unless... The Lord builds. We build in vain. Did you know we support missionaries in Russia, Dominican Republic? We support the Gideons, local organization called FISH, FCA, Hope Crisis Relief Network. Every time there's a natural disaster, the Hope Crisis Relief Network goes in and we support them when we financially give to them. Miracle Camp, Children's Lantern, H2O, the church that you just met with Alfonso Mack. These are our missionaries that we support financially. Every time... You give back to God and put money in that blessings box. We take 10% of that money and we put it into our benevolence fund. The benevolence fund funds all of our missionaries, our food pantry, and people who are in need in crisis. That's what that's there for. We used some of that money just to, this, uh, two weeks ago to purchase 860 Bibles for me to hand out to junior high and high school students in northwest Ohio and southern Michigan. 860 Bibles. I called up Greg and sent him a text and said, "Hey, you said there's extra money in the benevolence fund. Would Bibles count?" And uh, I said, "Here's my goal. I want to I want to hand out 2,500 Bibles this year. So it's going to cost about $12,000 to buy 2,500 Bibles, and I'm going to go throughout all different places and people to give." And and he's like, "Oh, how about 3,000?" Okay, I was thinking 300. I was like, "Just ordered 860 Bibles. Thank you. Isn't God good?" Did you, did you know this is going on? Are, are you aware of what's going on in this place? Um, do you know what's going on with God's people, with you? I don't know if you're aware of all this. Many of you are serving in the food pantry and nursery and children's church, GPS, Tupac. Uh, you're greeters, you're on a security team. You are serving in various ways. And then, then to me, that's exciting. Like I said, when I go back to standing in the movie theater smelling popcorn being popped in the darkness of the movie theater preaching a sermon, I would have never imagined this. Unless the Lord builds, we build in vain. What is to come? I'm excited about Pastor Paul being on staff here. He has a heart for missions. He's, he's looking forward. He's going to be planning out some stuff after lunch. Uh, about mission trips with our youth and, and other ways in which they can share the gospel. Uh, we're making plans in January to offer Financial Peace University, which is a, a class on how to handle your finances. Uh, in the month of January, we kick off a new series going through the book of John. And when we go through the book of John. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to have about four or five, maybe six adult leaders who are going to host small groups at their house or here at the church. Bottom line is they will have their location and their time set up and it's not going to change. When we've tried to do small groups before, here's what happens. We've got 10 of you, 12 of you together. Hey, when can you meet? Well, I can't meet. Well, I can't meet. I can't meet. And your small group never really meets because you can't ever get together, right? That's the way it works. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have five or six leaders already in place. You go to whichever one is convenient for you and then just make a habit of going to that same one. If something comes up, you can't go, then just go to a different one. What are you going to be covering? What I preach on Sunday is going to be the book of John. What are you going to do in a small group? You're going to go deeper in that passage. Whatever it is we are preaching about that Sunday, you're going to take that passage and go deeper. We'll provide the curriculum for you to use. But now we've got the whole church going through the book of John, meeting in small groups, growing together in these house churches. That's coming in January. I'm excited about what God is doing. But listen, listen very carefully to this. The, everything I just shared with you is not to brag and boast. Uh-uh. Unless the Lord builds. We build in vain. I shared this with the elders. I'm going to say it to you. It's not about becoming or being a big church. It's about our church doing something big. Amen? I've never had my mind, my idea to sit there and think, I want to be a mega church. I don't want to be a mega church. I just want to be a church. I don't want to be a big church. I just want to be a church that does something big for God. And unless the Lord builds, it's in vain. And, and here's the thing. This will not be by my effort or your efforts, but by the spirit of God. We're seeking God in this movement of this church. We want you to know that God Wherever you're going, we want to go along. We want to go along. We want to be a church where God is victorious, where his word is is preached with priority and prayer is powerful. We want to be a church that speaks the truth about heaven and hell and the matters of life that's going on. And when we shout, we shout love. We want to be a church that's full of hope, peace, and joy, truth. Church, we know the challenges that lay before us. Some of you have just started coming over the past year. You probably didn't know we have a debt on this building. We still owe a lot of money for this building. I would love to add on only because, only because Wednesday nights, it'd be nice to offer adult education classes or classes for other things for adults. We don't have any room. Every space is, we had to clear out, we had to clear out a storage room so that Joy Frucci could put a counseling office in there so she can do counseling. And it's like, we're using every space possible. So it would be great to add on, but you know we can't add on until we pay this off. We, so maybe we'll do a building campaign next year? Possibly. Am I worried about it? Not at all. Not at all. I know the generosity of this church. I know the direction of this church. I know our church size. I believe we'll get it paid off. And in God's timing, we'll do it. But spiritually, here's the thing. We want to grow. Spiritually. And there are challenges. The family right now, the family's under attack, aren't you? The family's being torn apart in this world. Marriages are not as great as they used to be. Some marriages are very dismal and it's, 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 a, it's a battle, it's a struggle. Depression, disappointment, doubt. They knock on our door every single day. I was standing outside the door the other day uh, in the middle of the week. I looked out in this field and I saw a fox out in this field out here. And I was like looking over and I was like... That's a fox. There's a fox in our field. And the first thing I thought about the fox is a fox is a sly animal full of trickery, right? And it just remind me, just outside the doors of this church is a lot of trickery. There's a lot of slyness. This has to be a place where truth is found, where hope is discovered, where new life in Christ is an everyday matter. And where we grow in him. That spiritual battle is real, but our God is victorious. And where God is, church, that's where I want to be. How about you? The spiritual battle is real, but God is almighty, our defender, our Lord, our victor. And today's message todays message was supposed to be really simple. It's just sort of a State of the Union address, if you want to call it that. But church, this is, what I want you to know is this is where we are. We are so blessed. And today, I just want to encourage you as a church body with what is going on. I want to let you know, this is what's going on. This is what's planned. God's been doing great things, and we're not alone in it. Because unless the builder, unless God builds, the builder builds in what? Vain, right? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24, last passage. Last passage, and we'll wrap this up. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24, Paul's expressing something pretty incredible here. Paul didn't know what was ahead of him. He, he had every reason to believe something bad was going to happen, and he wrote this. He said, verse 22, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He's like, God's telling me to go to Jerusalem. Remember, like Moses, wherever you're going, I'm going, right? Peter was the same way. Now Paul, he's like, hey, the Spirit's saying go to Jerusalem. He goes, listen, he goes, I don't know what awaits me. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul didn't know what was coming. He thought, well, I think jail and suffering are ahead. I think that's coming. Then he said, there's uncertainty. He goes, I don't know what awaits me. But I know this. God said, go, so I'm going. Listen, if you knew hardship and jail were coming, if you knew that bad things financially were going to happen to you because you serve God, would you still go? Would you still be obedient? Paul says, I'm in. Jail, hardship, I don't know. All I know is I've weighed things out like an accountant. He actually uses these terms in there. Verse 24, he goes, I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in my ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. That's an account, he holds out. What, 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 what? I get out of it. What will I put into it? Jail and suffering. Oh, the jail and suffering. That's what I'm going to get out of it. But you know what? What am I going to put into it? I'm going to tell others about Jesus. And what I'm putting into it is better than what I'm going to get out of it. Which seems sort of odd, right? Because it's all about what I'm going to do, and that's telling others about Jesus Christ. And if I get suffering in jail for it, so be it. It is so worth it. I'm going to finish this race, and then he equates it to a, a race. I'm going to finish this course that's been set out to me. I've shared these three passages with you because I want you to see from Old Testament. Moses got it. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to be that sailboat that when, when the Spirit of God blows, I want to catch all of it. And then like Peter, who then says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I know who you are, and I proclaim it, and I want to be with you, and I'm going to charge the gates of hell. And are we going to be like Paul? And Paul says he gets it. He gets it. So church, hearing from Moses, hearing from Peter, hearing from Paul, knowing where we are as a church today. Are you ready to build? How will we build in us? Because unless the Lord builds, we labor in vain is isn't going to be about our efforts. It's about what God wants to do. And we're going to go along with him for the ride. We'll just just pump up the sail and just let him blow into us and direct us. That's my hope for us, church. I want to encourage you. Worship team, come on forward. I want to encourage encourage you to get into the presence of God. Now listen very carefully. Don't tune out while they're coming up. Just listen very carefully. Some of you in here might say, but I've never gone to a Bible college. I I don't know a lot about the Bible. I've never learned a great deal. I'm not a very educated person when it comes to spiritual things. I'm just an ordinary person that comes here on Sunday or or I'm, I'm doubting my ability to teach a class or to serve or to volunteer. Can I share something with you real quick? The disciples of Jesus Christ, who were they? Unschooled, ordinary men. Acts chapter 4, 13 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, but they recognized they had been with Jesus. See, when you've been in the presence of God, when you've been with Jesus, you grew up in his presence, guess what? You're no longer longer an ordinary, unschooled person. You are now extraordinary, schooled in the presence of God, ready to serve. Let him work through you. Let Him work through you. Would you stand, please? We need to be with Jesus, you know. We may not feel qualified to lead or spiritual enough to, to do anything big, but listen, when you hang out with Jesus, His presence changes you, doesn't it? Makes you different. Make it a priority to be in the presence of God every day. It will change you, because unless the Lord builds, we're just building in vain. Allow him to lead the way. I pray that he will do in me, in you, in this church, something that's amazing, and nothing that we can take credit for. I was very hesitant in showing you these pictures because I don't want to feel like we're boasting. But you know what? We're going to boast in the Lord because it's what he has done and it's what he is going to continue to do. Somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, For the first time as a result of a message they heard here, praise God. But if they say, I'm going to go worship at another church, that's fine. I just want you to know Jesus. It's not like I get a little brownie button or point or something to get like, oh, look at all the people I've saved. No, no, no. Shame on me. Uh, Unless the Lord builds, we build in vain. It's a church. Get in the presence of God. You need to confess something today. You feel like, you know what? I'm, I don't, I'm not really ever placed my faith in Jesus Christ today, today because he is the Messiah of the Son of the living God. Surrender to him. Let him work through you. And church, for those of you who've been a part of this church forever and you've grown up in the faith, listen, you're not done. It's time for us to storm the gates of hell. See, every time we go nearer to God, every time we get into the presence of God... Oh, guess what's happened? We're shaking those gates. Let's shake some gates. Let's get in the presence of God. Let's see what he's going to do in this church, in this community, in this part of Northwest Ohio, and even just Southern Michigan. If people choose not to come to church, that's fine. But Let's pray that God works through them, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. God, right now where we are, there might be somebody in here that's like, I need to surrender my life. Man, I wanna, I'm all in. I want to get in this. The only reason we would say that is because it's true that you are the Son of God. You came to this earth to pay a debt we couldn't pay, to take away our sins. Oh, we mess up all the time. We're so imperfect. We screw up and then we don't even know how to fix it because we can't. Only you can fix it. God, you send your son because you love us so much, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life, victorious over death, victorious over sin, to free us, to give us new life. Thank you, God. I believe that. If we believe that this morning, we need to confess that and ask for forgiveness of our sins and ask you to come into our life and to be our Lord, to be our Savior. God, for those of us that have already maybe prayed and surrendered our lives and placed our faith in you. Maybe it's time, God, we step back and say, you know what? It's time I get in the presence of God more. I don't want to be like that sailboat that's just sitting on the water. Fill my sail with your spirit, Lord. Blow me along. Push me in the right direction. I want to be in your presence, God. I want to see mighty things happen. And when mighty things happen, we're not going to pat ourselves on the back. We're going to lift our hands and say, thank you, God. I'll praise to you. Because unless you build, we build in vain. God, what a mighty God you are. Fill us with your presence, Lord, as we sing this song. We exalt you. We lift you up as God. Not us, you, because you are God. Where you are, that's where we want to be. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.